We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I'm Sean Davis, along with Brian Driscoll. We just got through highlighting the commitment of Owen Strevick to the 2025 class, ranked 66 nationally, Catholic Memorial, Waukesha, Wisconsin. And now we get to the fans' favorite part of the show, right, Brian? They come with some of the best and craziest questions. It is the mailbag. So if you have a mailbag question, make sure you put in MB. And then go ahead and list your comment or your question, and we'll get to it. Are you, you want to bring them up? And I'll yeah, go and bring them up. You just okay. read them. Yeah. All right. We'll get right. We got, and we got some. We you know the show is now available on Rumble. Just a couple of things. Obviously, the show is live on YouTube and Rumble now. Also, we're partnering with with uh, Spotify in certain ways. So if you are if you are if you're a podcast listener and you listen on Spotify, we thank you for that, and obviously thank Spotify for their uh, attempt to help us continue to grow and build up Irish breakdown. So some of these questions, Sean, are going to be from some of our rumble subscribers. And so Great. we obviously are going to start things off right now with uh real estate 2024, who is asking this question from the rumble show. Hey, thank you. Real estate 2024. Does Notre Dame win 15 or 16 games this year? Uh, championship. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they, if they go 12 and 0, they'd win the, they, the, the most they can win is 16. So 15 would mean 15 could mean a championship if there's a regular season loss. Uh, but so, yeah, that, that, I mean, do, do they, I, I, I have no idea. Can they, I think that's a, that's a, a question that I feel more comfortable speaking on Sean. And I think they can. Now there's a lot that Notre Dame needs to still grow and develop and prove. I've talked about this, you know, is Riley that Leonard guy or not? I think he can be, he's got a lot to prove. You know, I think the receiving core has got a chance to be really good, but they got a lot to prove. You know, the offensive line's got a lot of talent. It's going to be very young. And there's all these, you know, linebacking core is going to be more talented than it was last year. It's going to be very young. There's a lot of question marks about this team, but I got to say, Sean, the thing that has me fired up is just the, the overall depth of talent. I mean, the, the, cons- the position that I'm most concerned about on this football team is a position where you have a unanimous All-American coming back. In Xavier Watts, you know what I mean? Like that's the position I'm most worried about. 
you're you're, you're talking about you, how the running back room has changed. Where in 2019, Tony Jones Jr.'s banged up against Georgia, so they basically can't run the football the whole game because they had nobody else that they felt comfortable turning to. To now, it's like you got to lose four guys before you get to Aeneas Williams or Devin Ford. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's just they've done such a great job in such a short period of time of really rebuilding this thing, and it's the current staff. But you know, also there's been other coaches who were gone who played a big role in it. You know, obviously a lot of the D linemen Mike Elson recruited. You know, Lance Taylor did a really nice job getting Jadarian Price. He recruited Jadarian Price. And then, of course, Coach McCullough's taken it to another level. You know, so so it's exciting when you think about the talent is there. But 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 at the same time, if we're being realistic, Notre Dame still has a lot. It has to prove as a program. Marcus Freeman still has a lot. He has to prove as a head football coach before I'm ready to say, yes, they're going to win a championship this year. Do I think Notre Dame, if all the things happen – and and they and 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 all the ingredients kind of get put perfectly together. Do I think Notre Dame can can be a, a team that can win a championship this year? I absolutely do, because I I think there's going to be better top level teams this year. I think Ohio State has a chance to be really good. I think Georgia has a chance to be really good. I think Texas has a chance to be really good. There are some teams that have a chance to be really good that you could look back and say, boy, that team might have smacked 2023 Michigan. And I but I think Notre Dame is also one of those teams that can be that. And I don't think that they – you look at boy, you just don't have the skill to compete with that team or you just don't have mm-hmm. the line. No, they do. It's just can the ingredients all come together or – because, like, the concern is, Sean, is like, okay, this position has a chance to be special, but can it be that in 2024 or do we have to wait to 2025? Right. But then when we get to 2025 and that position is special, now you're not as good over here because you lost these guys. That's been the big thing for Notre Dame. There have been years they had a championship-caliber defense. There have been years they've had a championship-caliber offense. They've never had those two things in the same year since like 1993, right? And that's that's the question mark I don't have. And until you know, Coach Freeman shows me he can avoid those Louisville, Stanford letdown weeks. Until he shows me he can go on the road and beat the best teams, something they have not done yet. Last two years, they lost at Ohio State, they lost at USC, they lost at Louisville, they lost at Clemson, and they almost lost at Duke. Right, this is a team that has not played as well on the road against the better teams. You've got to answer those questions first before I can start saying they're going to win a title. But I do think that the talent and the and the coaching staff and a lot of other things in place to where this is the most optimistic I've been in the Marcus Freeman era that those questions will get answered. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at, Sean. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
It's interesting you bring that up because some of his biggest wins in his first season was on the road at North Carolina at Syracuse, right? BYU big, was away from home. BYU right. was away. It was the Shamrock Series, but it was away from home. But then he had the big Clemson win at home. But like you said, those two, the, the home loss, then they had the loss, at, not loss, but they won a close game against Cal that really was uninspiring. So then they come into this season, you figure, you figure they're much better as a team. They end up being one game better. But, oh, the road is just like – and we're going to talk about this. We could tease this. Yeah. this is one that started off me. well, yeah. I mean, with the NC State game. Yeah. It started off well, but then, yeah. yeah, they were not a very good team away from home after that. And it just showed – we're going to talk about that on the first RTCF show, right? Returning production that's, that's and all a, of that yeah. stuff. So – Man, that's a great question, real estate 2024. We'll dig deeper into that on the first RTCF show, but I agree with you, man. It's possible. Uh, I believe that I'm waiting to see if there is a couple of mega teams. I think it's really going to the, – the first year they expanded playoff, I think has an opportunity to really be the perfect landscape for a great playoff. I really feel that way because I don't know if it's just one team. For, of course, Ohio State's done a lot and invested a lot to try and be that team. Sure. I don't know if I still uh, yeah. trust the quarterback position right now. Well, and, and that's – I mean, I still don't trust the offensive line. I trust Will yeah. Howard a lot more than I trust the offensive line. I mean, yeah. but like this, yeah, so you're correct. Ohio State has spent a lot of money, and, and I have no problem with that. Good on mm-hmm. them. To, to But – to me, when I look at what they've added and I look at what they've coming back, I mean, this isn't even the most talented offensive Ohio State team they've had in the last no. four years. No. You know, I mean, this isn't going to be as talented as a team that two years ago lost to Georgia with C.J. Stroud and Paris Johnson and, you know, oh, and, and, the and year. The, forget the name of the, Dewan Jones. And, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, do they have a chance to be really, really good? Yeah. Yeah. Does Georgia have a chance to be really, really good? Yeah. Does Texas have a chance to be really, really good? Yeah. Do I see any of those teams? And this is my question that I'm asking for you, Sean, to kind of lead you back into, since I kind of interrupted and lead you back into it. Can any of those teams be LSU 19? Can any of those teams be Bama 20 or Clemson 18? And that's the thing that I don't think is, I don't think they are, in my opinion, which is why I do think that it's there for the taking for a team like Notre Dame, because you're going to have to beat some big dogs. But number one, you won't be the one that has to beat all those big dogs because of the playoff format. But number two is your team has a chance to stack up a lot better against them than you have in the past. And that's a big difference to me. I I will say this. I think I'm not totally sold on Carson Beck. Agree. But he's, he's solid. Yeah. He's a good quarterback. I don't know if he can be as clutch as a Stephen Bennett. Only time will tell. He had his opportunity to SEC championship game and he didn't pass the test. I will say Georgia, in a lot of ways, had to play a lot of young players last year, and they still were one game away from the college football playoffs. So they have an opportunity. Man, losing their defensive back coach was a huge loss as he goes to Syracuse and took a lot of players from Georgia with him while getting other players in the transfer portal. But Kirby coaches defensive backs. That's his strength as well. So it's going to be interesting. Texas is a team where this is a test for Sark to see if he can maintain that level of excellence. Now that he's gotten there, can you maintain it? I mean, he has the quarterbacks. I mean, he has Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers. I mean, 
quarterback play won't be an issue. He's a really good playmaker. He'll have skill. Wide receiver position. O, well, yeah. o line he, should be pretty good this year. But they lose Defense two biggins. Yeah. The two biggins they lose on the middle. Yeah. yeah. Literally. That, yes. Yeah. Tavondre Swift is not a small man. No. Well, and Sean, but here's kind of thing to it. Like, even with Georgia, like, yes, this is going to be a very good Georgia team. There's no doubt. This isn't meant to disparage Georgia. But, like, this this team won't be as talented as it was a couple of years ago, in my opinion. No. That's I mean, look, when, when Georgia team. won their last title, they had Ladd McConkey, who just dominated the senior bowl. They had A.D. Mitchell. They had Brock Bowers. They don't have any of those mm-hmm. guys. And, and yes, they'll have talent, right? And, and, again, this would I be shocked if Georgia wins the title this year? No, not at all. I mean, they've got the kind of team that they could do that. But when I look at the players they have, Sean, and the, and the guys that they've signed in the portal, I mean, they've got some good players in the portal. But, like, does Trevor Etienne move the needle for me? For All of a sudden, I'm feeling like George is this phenomenal team. No, he doesn't. Does Does London Humphreys do that for me? No, not. I mean, they're again, they're good players. But I, I don't think that Georgia has the same way better than everybody else like they did in 2021, in my opinion. And, and even in 2022 to a degree, because everybody talks about how they were one game away. And I'm like, yeah, but they played a really weak schedule last year and were trailing in the like at halftime of like half their games. Well, here's their schedule this year. Clemson and Atlanta at Bama at Texas at Ole Miss home against Tennessee, Florida on a neutral field, home against Auburn at Kentucky. You play like you did last year. You're catching three L's. Right. That that's a thing. I mean, and, and that's part of it too, is some of these teams are gonna kind of they're gonna some of these leagues are gonna sort of annihilate themselves a little bit. Some team that you're worried about is gonna not make the playoff because they just they had that gauntlet that you just yeah. couldn't ignore. And and that's true for a lot of these teams, Sean. So that's why I look at and say, man, like like in Notre Dame, let's be honest, does not have as on paper at least, as daunting of a schedule as they did in 2017 or in and in, in even last year, in 2022, or 2023, in my opinion. So there's a lot of things that, for Notre Dame, are setting them up, but but there's a lot this team still has to prove. I just think it's going to be a really fun football year, Sean. I just look at some of these teams, and I'm just like, you look at the schedules, and I hate the Super Conference thing, but I'll tell you, tell you what, in year one, they're going, they're going right. Yes. They're making it right. They're saying, hey, we're not going to have Texas avoid the big dogs. We're not going to have Oregon avoid the big, you know what I mean? Like Michigan, you're heading out to Washington, you know, next year. You're going to play Oregon. And and so that it's it's going to be a fun year, man. Yeah. And I don't think Notre Dame's schedule's loaded like it has been in other years, but still Notre Dame Florida State's still going to be a big deal. Notre Dame Texas A&M's still going to be a big deal. Notre Dame Louisville's still going to be a really good football game. And and Georgia Tech's a team to keep an eye on because they're they're doing some really good things in the portal and they they finished the year and they they got some athletes to worry about so just they overall I think this is gonna be a fun year Sean it, it is gonna be a fun year of football yeah. yes they did play Georgia I mean they just didn't have the horses but mm-hmm. to your point this was the most confident Georgia Tech has ever looked not ever this is the most confident Georgia Tech has looked against Georgia in years where they believed we can play with them no they yeah. couldn't. Right at the end of the day, they couldn't. Georgia Tech, Georgia didn't play that well and still beat Georgia Tech. But I thought the Brent Key hire was not a good hire. But in year one, he did some really good things with that, with that staff. He did or with that team. He did some. Really if I'm good. not mistaken, they for a while I thought they had Louisville beat. Oh, they were smacking Louisville. Early. Yes, and I mean they were like four touchdowns. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Louisville came storming back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing some good things. We got another one from Real Estate 2024, Sean. Can Owen Strebe play guard? He's yes, enough. but I wouldn't yeah. want him to. No. Yeah. Yeah, I, agree. I, I would. I would rather put Will Black there than Owen Strebeck. If I had to That's put one call. of the two kids from this class, I would rather. I would rather put Will Black there. I just think he has a. He's a little less long, and he's got a little bit more of that short area type of game, where I could see Will. I could see Will Black, and and it may not seem like, but but that inch inch and a half of lack of height. That I mean, Will Black's listed at six seven. Is he really six seven? I'm not sure. Owen Streebeck's every bit of six seven and a half, six eight, right? So I think that extra inch, inch and a half is also important when you're talking about a, you know from the quarterback yeah. position. Yeah. Now, if Deuce Knight is the quarterback when these kids are on the field, it makes it a little bit better because Deuce is six five plus. But if you got CJ Carr or Kenny Minchie out there, do you really want a couple six seven guards? I, I don't. You know, even in a shotgun offense, I don't know if that's necessarily the ideal situation. So, no. uh, could he? Yes. Willie, I hope not. I hope not. But to your point, Sean, if you're moving him to guard because he's just too good not to play, but you've got Charles Jagasaw and Gerby Lambert or or Gerby and and Styles Prescott or whatever combination, and they're just dudes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I get it. And then you need to get him on the field. Then you figure it out. You make you figure it out a way to make it work. Big Leaks Burner, thank you for the mailbag question. How drastically has the perception of Notre Dame changed on the recruiting trail? That's a good question. Oh, it, it, I mean, it's it's a it's night and day. I mean, you used to have this expression of you know we're Notre Dame shopping down a different aisle, and you just kind of resolved yourself to when you saw a kid get an offer from certain schools, or you were going to battle against certain schools, you were just kind of like, yeah, they're not going to get that guy, or they may get him, but he's then going to flip. You know, where now it's just kind of like Notre Dame's the team that you're worried about. Like, oh, shoot. You know, like Mickens is in on this one. Like, we got to be worried about this one a little bit. And we haven't even seen the Mike Denbrock effect take take really come into play yet. And it will. I don't know if it'll be 25 class. Maybe it will, the receivers. It'll definitely come at some point in time because, you know, Mike Denbrock was a dude on the recruiting trail as well yeah. throughout his entire career. And, and so it is, it is really interesting, but it, it just goes to show – what having a, a dynamic head coach can do for you on the recruiting trail, but especially when you have that guy at Notre Dame. And you also look at the way that, that you know, when, when Chad Bowden first kind of got started, or it was just, it was him, but they've done a great job of, of giving Dre Brown kind of a platform to build himself up. Chad does a great job of, of making sure that Dre is in almost all the videos that they do of Chad. He always tries to make sure that Dre is in them as well because he understands I can't be everywhere, although he tries, you know, and Dre's done a good job that the, the, they're really building up the staff around those guys a lot more too, which helps. So it doesn't just have to be the, the head coach and the nine assistants like it used to be. Now it's 10 assistants plus the head coach, plus the recruiting director, plus all the other guys that are part of it. And it just makes recruiting a, a lot. I mean, they're, they're committing legit resources to Notre Dame's recruiting efforts, including outbidding Michigan to keep Chad here. I mean, that, that's a big part of it. I'll bidding LSU to and, and Texas A&M to get Mike Dembrock, you know, making sure that Mike Mickens isn't going anywhere. Notre Dame has made a significant financial commitment to the football team this offseason. And a big part of that, Sean, is this. It's, it's two things. One, the new TV deal and the new apparel deal. You got more money to spend. Right. Number two, there's faith that it's going to be – it's an investment. 
And we have a much more faith that this guy is going to cash out on that investment, turn it into, you know, a growth for us than the guy before. And that's a big part of it. And, and so Notre Dame is kind of a cool place again. And a lot of it comes down to Marcus Freeman. Now, here's the thing, Sean, that only lasts so long before he's got to back it up with wins. Right. And that's why finishing the way they did after the Clemson loss was so important. Not only did you win your next three games, you destroyed your next three opponents, got a lot of that negative, a lot of that negativity out and really built some positive momentum going into the offseason. You needed that because, again, after the Clemson game, man, we were sitting here like, dude, this team is this team is reeling. You know, you lost to Clemson, you lost to Louisville, you almost lost to Duke, you lost to Ohio State. Like, how are you going to finish? Because a lot of that excitement about Marcus Freeman was kind of wavering. And they went out two weeks later after Clemson and just boat raced Wake Forest, dominated Stanford, and then went out in the bowl game with a bunch of backups. I know Oregon, Oklahoma, Oregon State did too, but just – from start to finish, we're just outclassed Oregon State the whole time. Yeah. Now, so a lot of that momentum is back, and so that was huge. But now Coach Freeman's got to build on that, and they've got to be a playoff team this year. To me, to me, to really take advantage and take it to the next level, you've got to not only make the playoff, you got to win a game. That, to me, is the minimum of how can Notre Dame build on this momentum and really take that next step from a recruiting standpoint. they got to do those two things, in my opinion. Do you have a floor for success? Is it yeah. making it to the playoffs is success? Winning a game in the playoffs is 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 the floor of success for this season. To, Where do to you me, have to, it right now? Ten and two with a postseason win is the floor for what can be considered a successful season. Even if it's ten and two and you don't make the playoff and you win a bowl game, you go eleven and two. That's a successful season. What I'm talking about is a needle moving season. Mm-hmm. Eleven and two simply just continues the slow and steady growth under Marcus Freeman. It doesn't it doesn't put you on the level of Georgia. It doesn't mean that you've arrived. It, it doesn't mean that because you're 10-2 against an okay schedule and you won whatever bowl game you were part of. That's progress, and it's always about progress. But to move the needle, to kind of kick that door down and say, you have to worry about us on the recruiting trail and on the football field, and now that you got to worry about us on the football field, we're even scarier on the recruiting trail. It's got to be playoff and a win, at least one win in the playoff. That's what moves the needle. And your loss in the next round, if it does come into quarters, better be competitive. To me, that moves the needle. That tells kids, hey, we're getting closer. That's why you got to come here and not go to that school. Come here, be the first here. If you're the first here compared to the third there or the fourth there or the second there, you're a legend, right? I mean, that's the reality. I mean, Tony Rice – you know, was a Heisman runner-up with two touchdown passes and nine interceptions, right? <laughs> He's a legend in Notre Dame. Why? Because he won at Notre Dame. He won at Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll – look, big leak. I think the narrative was being changed the first year Marcus Freeman was the head coach. And it is a slow burn. When you get – you can say – people can say what they want to. They can criticize. But when you get Peyton Bourne – Dante Moore, Keon Keeley, all wanting to come to Notre Dame simultaneously. They lost all three. But you weren't getting guys like that in the class previously. That was changing. That was going to a different level in going after the talent, the top talent in a recruiting class and getting them attracted to Notre Dame. And then you take it the next step. 
where you get maybe one of those guys, right? And eating, but you're in the fight. You're in the fight. But that has to be paired with what Brian said. You have to start pairing it with winning on the field because that's going to give you the ability now to close on some of those guys, right? Yeah, it's great to have Deuce Knight. I'm just going to throw a name out there. It would be even greater to have Deuce Knight with Jamie French. I'm just throwing the name out there. I'm not mm -hmm. starting anything, not saying anything, but it, I mean, you come with that pair right. from the South, coming up to South Bend, now you're talking about a true gap-closing class, and it can still be a gap-closing class if that combination doesn't manifest. But my point is, winning on the field, as you pointed out, B, is mm -hmm. going to be the biggest turn-up. Right. Because Notre Dame has already turned up the fire on the recruiting right. trail. And the, the reason we know it is because we see the other schools joining together to recruit yes. against Notre Dame. And it has been a while since they've done that. It yes. They, they did that during the Charlie era, early on mm -hmm. under Charlie. They did it under Lou. I've said yeah. this before. Florida State would rather lose a kid to Florida than Notre Dame. Alabama would rather lose a kid to LSU, Auburn, or Georgia than to Notre Dame. That's just a fact. Because they know that if these kids go – if a kid like Kyle Hamilton goes to Notre Dame and succeeds, gets his degree, which Kyle came back after his rookie year in the end of – right, he's a second-year player now, right? Mm -hmm. Came back after his first year, finished his degree, and I believe graduated, correct? Yeah. So he's got his Notre Dame degree, was a first-round draft pick, now he's an all-pro, now he's considered one of the best in the game. And all of a sudden, that's kind of like, holy crap. Because now it's like, wait a minute, I can go to Notre Dame, get a degree? get a legitimate education, be an All-American, be a first-round draft pick, and go on to become a star in the NFL. And now I have the educational background to turn my $100 million I may make as an NFL player into $500 million because I understand how to properly market myself and do all these kind of things. Yeah. That's what they're afraid of, Sean. They're definitely afraid of that because they know, especially now that Notre Dame can give NIL money, yeah. they all understand the brand. If a C.J. Carr, or a deuce night goes to Notre Dame and balls out, or hopefully both. Like, especially with like Deuce's personality, like ideal world, Kenny or CJ kind of take that next leap and then Deuce comes in behind him. But Deuce has that personality, it's just a little different. And, and then, then Kenny and CJ, who are who are just kind of quiet, I just want to go do my job and, and kick your butt kind of guys. Deuce wants to do his job. He wants to kick butt, he wants to be a leader, but then he wants to tell everybody about it, which I kind of like because that's kind of how I was as a player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which isn't going to surprise anyone, right? But all of a sudden, let's say Deuce comes in our name. Let's say Deuce is as good as advertised. All of a sudden, who's going to have the biggest? Who's going to be on Heisman House? Who's going to be on this big time company's advertising? It's not going to be the kid from USC or the kid from Bama. It's going to be the kid from Notre Dame, right? That moves the needle, right? And and so those are the things. But it all comes down to you got to win. Yeah, you got to win, and and you don't see Jaden Daniels on those commercials. Heisman Trophy went. Why? He's he's not. He doesn't have that same charismatic personality. Yeah. It's also you know, his, his his team didn't win, and and so I, I look at it, Sean, and to me that's the thing about Notre Dame is that that you you still have to kick down that door on a couple other things, right? You you still need that first round skill, you know, receiver. You still need that first round quarterback. You still need, and that's why, you know, some of the guys you look at on the team now is like, man, they need Benjamin Morrison to be that dude next year. Yeah. They need Riley Leonard to be that dude next year. They need, you know, some of these receivers to really be that dude 
Because if you start now start putting guys into the first round and stuff like that, it's like, okay, now, you know, they need Riley Leonard to have a breakout year and be a second round draft pick. Yeah. Those are all things that you look at and say, man, whew, if, if they can start doing that kind of stuff, it's like, how do you compete with Notre Dame? Yeah. You can offer them a little bit more money, but Notre Dame's pitch to that has been easy. Yeah. You know, like if you're a kid that just wants the most upfront money now, you're never coming to Notre Dame because you weren't coming to Notre Dame before because you were still taking money under the table. Mm -hmm. But the thing is now there's a lot of kids that understand. We've seen them. Jeremiah loves Jaden Greathouses. We've seen these kids, Sean, where they turn, they leave six figures on the table because they understand leaving that on the table. Now I'm going to quadruple that in four or five years Yeah, for, for other reasons. And Notre Dame's pitch now that they can offer money is so much easier. That helps as well. But at the end of the day, it's always about the guys selling that pitch that comes down to. I could have a Sean, you and I could go on the road and 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 you could, you know, you and I could be pitching a similar product, you know, and I'm just like, hello, sir. I'm giving you facts and data, and you're out there and you're charming and you're guess who they're gonna buy from? Yeah. It's the guy that's charming and charismatic. Yeah. Now the product has to be good, but if the product is good and I have all these things right. and this personality, and it's not just Marcus, it's Marcus, it's Chad, it's like, you know, and and that's what that's what's changed the game. And I would I, the only thing I'll disagree with you on, I think it started to change before Marcus Freeman became head coach. I think it changed when he got hired as the coordinator. Good and call. Benjamin Morrison, Jalen Sneed, Tyson Ford, Junior Tyler Mock. I mean, all those kids immediately sort of. Junior Chalmaka went from committed to USC to, to uncommitted and trending to Notre Dame within two weeks of Marcus Freeman being hired. And what changed? He offered him a scholarship. Benjamin Morrison wasn't really on Notre Dame's radar that much until Marcus Freeman and Mike Mickens started getting on him. Jaden Mickey didn't have an offer. Benjamin didn't have an offer. Jalen Steed didn't have an offer. Josh Burnham was trending to Michigan, right? I mean, they, they weren't they, – and then all of a sudden Marcus comes, Chad's here, he's the defensive recruiting coordinator, and all of a sudden, boom, those kids start picking him. And then, yeah. then it built on when Coach Freeman became the head coach. And the ironic thing is, since he's become head coach, they've recruited offense better than they have defense since he's become head coach, which is kind of amazing. The greatest amount of respect that was paid to Notre Dame in recruiting circles was that the national champs came after your recruiting coordinator. Bingo. That's enough said. That lets you know how people respect Notre Dame on this recruiting trail and how people look at Notre Dame and what they've been able to do the last couple of years. I'm going to take this one, Sean, from Real Estate 2024. SD2 mm -hmm. Mikes, that would be you, Sean. Great to see you. Hope your health is doing better, man. Oh, it is, man. Thank you so much for all the congratulatory messages in the chat today about what Brian announced and my health and everything. It's always awesome. a pleasure. Yep. Also from Paul Sweta, glad to see more of you, Mr. Davis. Always enjoy your takes and professionalism. I appreciate I. that, Paul. All right, let's get back on track here. David Jones, thanks for the mailbag question. Do you foresee a serious battle between Derby and Owen a year from now? What about any of the other freshman offensive linemen, Jones, Tarek, et cetera? N no, I don't, because I think Gerby is, uh, is, is just ahead of where Owen is in my opinion, and he'll have a, a year head start. I think Owen's a kid that's going to need a year to get in the weight room, you know, get some flexibility improvement and, mm -hmm. and, and those type of things. I, I think I think Owen's going to probably need a year for that. I think it's going to be more about 
you know, him battling for whatever that number two spot is when when Charles Jagasaw leaves would be my would be my guess if if Gerby's already got a spot. And yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily put it past him. I just I don't think it's gonna be a year from now. I'm not saying that it won't be a battle between Gerby and Owen at some point. I'm just saying it won't be a year from now. If there's a battle between the two, it might be two years from now, more so than a year from now would be my my thing. As far as any other freshman lineman, Christopher Tarek will be a redshirt freshman now. I, I think Peter Jones is probably I, – I, I did a show today on Superlative, Sean, and I talked about the guys with the highest floors in the class. And Peter Jones is one of my guys, my three highest floors in the offensive class. I mean, I, yeah. I think that kid's got a chance to help out pretty early on. But there's great. There's gonna be great competition. I mean, you know, Pat Coogan and Billy Shrouth are gonna be the starting guards. I think that Rocco Spindler is gonna have something to say about that. I think Sam Pendleton's gonna have something to say about that. I think Sullivan Absher is gonna have something to say about that. Oh, Ashton Craig is the present and future at center. I think Joe Odding's gonna have something to say about that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, there's gonna have to be competition, and and so I think that's a good thing. And there's a lot of those kids. I mean, I I don't think we should write off Ty Chan just yet. You know, and, and we don't talk a lot about Christopher Tarek because he was yeah. the lowest ranked kid in that class. He's six foot five, 330 pounds. You know what I mean? So I'm excited about that. So I think there's going to be some major, I hope there's some major battles in the next couple of years. Number one, you got to allow battles to happen as a coach. You do, let's be honest. And number two, mm-hmm. guys got to step up and compete in those battles. And I'm hoping that one of the big culture changes that Notre Dame has to have is Sean, you know this, and you know this partly because of our conversations, but even more so because of I know conversations you've had with Malik and some of the foreign players that come on. There was a culture of wait your turn at Notre Dame <laughs> under Brian Kelly. And that's sort of the things that Marcus Freeman's got to beat out of the program. There's no waiting your turn. If you're a senior and a two-year starter and you don't put in the work this offseason to get better, I have no problem playing that sophomore who is putting in all the work to take your job. There's, there, there's, this isn't, this isn't a, you know, like I'm trying to think of the, the proper word, Sean, but this is about who's, this is a very much a, what have you done for me lately type of sport as it should be. And what do you, you know, always like, tell me? Right. If, if the youngster is here and the veteran is here and the difference isn't that much. Right. Play the youngster. But the tap, but it, like from an ex, experience prep, but if the talent, if the talent of the youngster and the veteran is right. here. Right. But the level of play is only here. Give me the younger guy. Give me the only. younger guy. And yes. a great example of that was what? The Dumas Johnson kid at Georgia who was like the captain. Right. Yeah, he and got injured. His true freshman comes in. He gets healthy. He can't he can't get his job back and transfers. Right. Right. Like, well, we've seen saw the Notre Dame. I mean, going into bowl prep, nobody thought that Charles Jagasaw was going to be the starting left tackle in the bowl game. But he got mm-hmm. a chance. The first few practices, they kind of moved everybody around, and Charles just said, hey, this is my shot. I'm going to go take it. He could have said, hey, freshman year, I've only played five snaps all year. Uh, my my time will come in the spring. No, Charles said, hey, guys, Joe's gone. Blake's gone. Hmm, it's my time. I got a chance here. Yeah. And they and what I was told, Sean, and I, I've reported this on the show before, this chair here is not comfortable. I have to bring one of my <laughs> office chairs over. This thing is very uncomfortable. But I was told that the plan going into this into the bowl prep was not at all to play Charles Jagsaw left tackle. They just wanted to give him some work there, and yeah. they were moving guys all around. But he was so good that they were like, uh-oh. The light That's what on. we talk about. You got to force your – Charles just said, this is mine. I'm going to go take it. Not that I deserve this yeah. or I'm owed this. I want this. 
and I'm going to go seize it. And and that's the thing you want to see. And to your point now, Dumas Johnson, who started on a national championship team, is now transferred to Kentucky. Yeah. And playing somewhere else. And you know, that that that's that's where you're at, man. I mean, we we saw that last year. We, we saw we that with Ashton Craig and Zeke Correct. Correll. Yes. The staff yes. had a decision to make. Right. And you Zeke, know? we love you, but we're we're ready to turn the page. And, and you know, we saw that at corner last year when when Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart ended up both kind of getting hurt. You say, man, Jaden Mickey and Christian Gray stepped in, didn't miss a beat. And and so now Cam's gone. Notre Dame doesn't even think twice about going to the portal for a corner. No, no, we don't need a corner, portal, corner. We got Benjamin and Jake. Because when they had their chance, they seized it. And now they weren't good enough to to say, sorry, Cam, you're not going to get this job when you come back, right? But now you feel so much better about the future because they took advantage of that opportunity. Absolutely. And and so that's that's the thing is you need to see that is you, you may only get that chance once. And what do you do with it in that moment? And And some guys have taken advantage of it. I mean, Jadarian Price, right? Audric Estime steps out. Jadar, what does Jadarian do? Goes into the bowl game, runs for 100 yards, makes a ton of plays, and now all everybody ever wanted to talk about was Jeremiah Love. Now it's like, boy, this two-headed monster at running back could end up being a thing. And, you know, now you and I we are know. surprised by that. No, because and, before and, and the some injury, of the people in this chat can, but yes. He was yes. supposed to be the starter, yeah, according to some people. No, Sean – I'll tell you right now, it was from a coach at Notre Dame told me that. Yeah. Not here anymore. But he said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. This was before he got hurt. Before he got hurt, I had a Notre Dame football coach on offense tell me, the best running back we've had this spring, by far, direct quote, by far, is J.D. Yeah. Talking about Jadarian Price. And I'm like, that's with Chris Tyree, Audric Estime, Logan Diggs. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? They're like, by far. And then he goes out in the spring game and he catches a screen and takes it 50 yards for a touchdown. So that, you know, but, but those are the things, man. And you, you just, you, you want those hungry players that are going to compete in battle and yeah. you need more of those. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. USMA 87. Thank you for the mailbag question. How much taller can Owen get before he's too tall and loses the bend? Well, I don't, I don't know if too tall is about the bend. I think, I think the bend is more about how his body. I mean, he could be – you could be 6'4 and, and lose the ability to bend. I think the lack of height or the, the issue with height would would not so much be about the ability to bend. It's about I don't care how much you bend, you're too tall to get down that low and play at that pad level. You know what I mean? And, and I mean, about another inch. It's about all I could hopefully see him going. I don't know that he's going to still – he didn't make a big jump in, in height from junior, sophomore to junior year. I don't see him making another jump in height from junior to senior. I think now it's more about filling out those other yeah. spots. Would be Agreed. Agreed. Jason Smith, thank you. SD, would you rather dunk one time in front of a crowd or hit a hole in one? Oh, a hole in one. Absolutely hole in one. I'm still chasing that. That's, you know, as a golfer, that you chase that your entire life. I don't care, Brian. I don't care if it's a 30-yard hole. I don't care what the dynamics are. As long as I hit it off the tee and it goes in the hole on the first shot, man, take a picture with the flag. Of course, you have to buy everybody drinks, you know, at the at, when you go into the uh, clubhouse, but it is what it is. I'm looking forward to it. I don't care. I've heard people tell stories about 
chasing that thing until it, up into the 80s. And then it finally happens. You know, and they don't care that they're hidden from the short tees either, my brother. They don't care. Like, you yeah. can't shame me. I don't care. I got a hole in one before my time was done. That's all that matters. Can I can I answer this one, Sean? I yeah, think you know my, I think you know my answer. I know your answer. Absolutely. Reason number one, I hate golf. I, I like to go golfing with friends who don't take it seriously. Because mm-hmm. you, you get out in the sun, you have some fun, you move around, it's a good time. I don't care if I play well or not. I just don't. I don't get mad on the golf course because I just don't care. And I don't necessarily like enjoy – like I won't be going to the golf course like trying to work on my game. I just don't care. And if you hit a hole in one, it's like what the two, three guys, you know, three guys in your foursome are like, yeah, it's great, and you get to go tell people about it. But that to me, that's as much about luck as anything else. The thing for me about about dunking in front of a crowd, it's like that is just like a a a masculine, I am this guy type of thing that you know just. And then of course you know me, Sean. The 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 the, the cheering and all that would kind of factor into it as well you know i'd be pretty hyped up but yeah yeah i'd much rather dunk once in front of a crowd it, it, when i mean dunk i don't just mean like i barely got the tennis ball over the rim right like yeah. when i'm talking about like dunk i'm talking about like it has some you know i put some stank on it you know what i'm saying like that that to me is the kind of dunk that it would be a needle moving for me yeah not I've, uh i've not actually had like, the exhilaration of dunking like we had this gym when i was in high school where you could go rent it out for a couple of hours and then you could play. You could tell them lower the rim to nine feet, mm-hmm. lower it to nine and a half. So I've actually dunked before, not on a 10 foot rim, but I've dunked before. And I've played on, you know, the, you know, the uh, trampoline houses they have where they have sure. the basketball rims. So I've felt that exhilaration before. I, I, man, I'm still, yeah, I'm chasing that hole in one. Yeah. I, I just am. And people say lower the rim, but like to me, that's that's different. Like, I mean, I've dunked on a eight foot rim. That that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about like just the the just for me in the sports that I played. I just have ne- like just golfing has never been a thing for me. Like, if you want to talk about what would you rather do, mm-hmm. dunk in front of a crowd, or hit one out of a major league stadium in front of a crowd? Okay, now we're talking. Now now we're talking because again, I hit that home run. I promise you, it's going to get watched. I promise you, everyone's gonna walk. You know what I mean? Like it. Just, you're gonna you're gonna slow trot it. I already yes. know you're gonna slow trot it. I am trot not it. Sammy Sosa yeah. get around the bases. Yeah. I am not. I am. Pitcher is gonna throw dead at your head the next time you okay. step into the box, and it'll be worth it. And he'll catch one again when I get out to the mound after the next one. Okay? Don't end up like Robin Ventura against no. Nolan Ryan, though. Well, no, I'm not an idiot. I mean, I'm going. No, first of all, I'm not going hard charging at that cowboy. What are you nuts? You know, bobbing and weaving until my buddies show up with Nolan Ryan, son. What are you, you kidding me? I'm not an idiot now. Oh um, man, I didn't get this far in life being suicidal. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I appreciate you, man. Hey, this one, thank you, ma'am. Appreciate you. Just saying hello. Thank you for the super chat. Appreciate you very, very, very much. Um, all right, we got some more of these, Sean. Let's let's get rocking and rolling, buddy. Jeff Flute, thank you for the mailbag question. Jordan had Pippin peanut butter has great jelly. I prefer strawberry myself. IB has Lucky Lefty. What who would make your top five famous duos? I'm going to go one, Sean, and I'm going to be a little bit different, and I'm going to go outside the box a little bit. And my favorite duo is actually not a duo on a team together. Okay. It is a duo that were on competitive teams that saved this game of basketball in my opinion, is bird magic. 
they were on a team once. The Olympics, I like that. I like but that. But that to me is is the best duo that I'm going with. If I'm going to say the best duos on teams that play together, selfishly, it's Elway and Terrell. That would that would be mine. That for two years that was a special duo. For two years that was a special mm-hmm. duo, in my opinion. A uh, couple other duos that I thought were pretty good, Sean. And I, you know, I'm gonna stick mainly to. Well, here's one: Maddox and Glavin. Mm-hmm. Now I know Smoltz was part of that, but those two just kind of seem more of like the duo since they pitched so much differently. That was a pretty good duo. That's a pretty good duo. I'm trying to think of some more duos that I can think of. No, no, I don't know any potential hockey duos you might. Wasn't there one? Um, oh, wasn't there you know, one? Like, hold, on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm gonna actually try to guess a hockey one. Wasn't Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager on the team together? Did mm-hmm. I get it right? And then another one, wasn't Gretzky and Mark Messier on a team mm-hmm. together? I did it, Sean. Good I job. Right Good about job. Woohoo! Good job. <laughs> it's probably not the I'm, only four hockey players I could name. As because well. I'm from Chicago, I'll throw in Taze and Kane. They gave us three championship, three Stanley Cups in Chicago. So, so of course, you know, I'm going to start with Mike and Scott. Sure. Sure. Right. Michael Scott, you're here in Chicago. You have to start there. I'm a hip hop fan. So for me, my favorite group is Tribe Called Quest. So I'm always going to say Q Tip and Fight. Great combination. Uh, and then wasn't, Briggs, wasn't Briggs tribe, and Erlacher. Wasn't Tribe more than two? I only counted two. Okay. They have four members. That's why I didn't go with like. I only like, counted two. That's why I didn't go with like the Celtics. Like I didn't go with Bird and McHale because you had DJ, you had well, the Chief. You know Jerobi, I mean? Jerobi did the first album, then he left the group. That's true. Yeah. And then, you know, Ali That's Shaheed why I didn't go with like Wu-Tang either, because the Ali same Shaheed, more than two. Like, I wouldn't mind somebody saying uh, Run and, and, and DMC, mm-hmm. right? Because Jay was just the DJ. They were the actual MCs that run. Uh, Briggs and Erlacher, that combination for years at linebacker, absolutely astounding and then strictly for my notre dame fandom newton lou there's no better combination yeah. than newton lou you know what's funny sean i don't particularly care for either one of them as actors individually mm-hmm. but the combination of will ferrell and john c Riley as an acting duo they do quite well together i like that will ferrell and kevin hart together was pretty funny too that was a pretty con I forget the name of the movie when yeah, he was preparing them to go hard, to jail. Get hard or something get like that. Hard. Yeah. yeah. That I thought, I thought oh. the, the reason I didn't like that, I just thought it was just Lou, Will Ferrell's character is just a little too over the top. Annoying. It was that's what made it perfect because you knew he was being over the top. What was the other combination? Um, we talked about this movie with Mark. And you said whoever Oh, did, Tim, Tim, Tim Tim Robbins. Yes, yes. In uh um no, it, it wasn't was, Blue Streak. No, nothing to lose. lose. Nothing to lose. Nothing yes. to lose. Great. And I would not have predicted it. Never saw it coming. Yeah. Oh, I would have not have said, hey, what's a great, what's a duo that would do a great job in a movie? Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence would have never been on my bingo card. I'll just mm-hmm. put it to you like that. Yeah. Some other sports ones. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, 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 some, the do, you're a Chicago guy. I'll give you, I'll give you a duo. One offense, one defense. Mike Singletary, Walter Payton brought that's, you a championship. It's that's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good duo, right? That's that's a pretty good duo. I can I can live yeah. with that. I yeah. can live with that. I'm trying to think of some others, but of yeah, course, I, I, I mean, you, got, you have stuff like Bryce. Look, 
Bryce Montana. Sure. Oh, that's got to be. I mean, that duo's got to be up there, honestly, mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, Kelsey and Mahomes has got to oh, be in that yeah. conversation. To heck be honest yeah. with you, it's got to be in that. Con- I'm not. I, I I particularly don't care for Travis Kelsey a whole lot mm-hmm. as a person for various reasons, but the guy's a phenomenal player, and that duo of those two was pretty was, was pretty good. I still feel like if John Elway and Shannon Sharp could have, if their primes would have matched up a little bit closer, I think that duo could have been. That's still a pretty good duo. Special as well, yeah. That's still yep. a pretty good duo. Yep. Hey, a very Quinn underrated Nelson duo and Mike, Mike McGlinchey. For Notre Dame, yeah. yeah. Well, my, my favorite duo at Notre Dame was Tony Rice and Rocket. That was my favorite Notre Dame duo. Uh, was was that was that group was that duo? So and football's so hard because it's so hard to think of like two. It's like I was thinking about the Giants, and I'm like, you know, here's one, here's a sleeper duo that was really, really very underrated and good. Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks for about mm-hmm. six, seven years was a really scary duo. Heck, they um, also had straight handed tuck. Yeah, it, well, and then they also had uh, OC Umanora as part of that. You're group right. As well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's been some good ones like uh, oh, Duper and Clayton. That's going back. To- yes, when they first came yeah. into the league. The Mark Brothers. Yes, yeah. that was a great, great combo. Yeah, Taylor. I mean, if you're talking about receiver duos, I mean, the Chris Carter Randy Moss duo for that one year in 1998 oh. was pretty flipping good. Absolutely. Uh, Taylor and Rice. That's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, good questions, man. Who they like have? Oh, Art Monk and Gary Clark. Well, yeah, that was more of a trio. Uh, like, who, because uh, Sanders? Ricky Saunders, Ricky yeah, Saunders. Ricky, yeah, yeah, Sanders, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him too, and then they had like Clint Didier at tight end and some other guys. But yeah, Swan and Stallworth is a great yeah, call. That's a good, that's one. A great call. That's a good one. Really yeah, good. That's a good one. There's been a couple receiver combos like that that were really. Good. Somebody just put in uh, Franco Harrison, Rocky Blyer. It's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Back in the days when you actually had, you know, 21 personnel. Here, a lot here's of a good one. Uh, Jack Ham and Jack Lambert. Steelers. Oh, yes. And you yes. could also, then you could go up LC front. Green and LC and, and Joe, yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe Green. Green and LC Green. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, Steelers, you could do a lot of them with, with Steelers. Yeah, you had what? Randy White, Two Tall Jones. Yeah. As long as you don't have any to include Terry Bradshaw, I can get on board with any of them. <laughs> Leave him off. Because you could have put 90% of the quarterbacks in the NFL on those teams and they still would have won. Four mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can miss me with all that Terry Bradshaw nonsense. Um, there's some some good ones, man. There's some good ones. It's been, uh, here's a, du- a duo from if you want to go like real old school in the NFL. Uh, what was his name? Who was Johnny Unitas's? Mackey. Don Maynard? No. Maynard? No. No, Maynard yeah, was with the John- Jets, right? Mackey yeah, was, was with the Colts. Yeah. Mackey would be the tight end. And him and him and Unitas were had some carryover. Yeah. Uh, is this some good? Yeah. The cap, somebody said Michael uh, Irv, uh, Emmett Smith and Michael. Irv. I think Michael Irvin's a good player. I just think Michael Irvin's a little bit overrated. I think he was a good player, but he Extremely was really clutch. Yes, and Extremely he was on some clutch. really good teams. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't put him on the same levels like Jerry Rice and some guys like that. And, and uh, you know, Hall of Famer, totally Hall of Famer. I just. I don't put him on that same – the same thing with Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith's a great running back. But Emmett Smith, again, benefited from playing with Hall of Fame offensive linemen, Hall of Fame quarterback, Hall of Fame wide receiver, a pretty darn good underrated tight end in Jay Novacek. I mean, yeah. you know, that that kind of factors into it a little bit as well. Could he have carried a franchise the way that Barry Sanders carried the Lions? Like, no, I don't think he could have. 
that that's my that's my thing. So Brady and Moss for one year was pretty fun to watch. I still think I still think the Chris Carter, Randy Moss, Randall Cunningham, Randall Cunningham group was more fun to watch for me Heck than the yeah. Moss. They had Brady. Robert Smith at running back. Yeah. They had a really good tight end too. Was it no? Was Steve Jordan was before that? I know who you're talking about. Well, that Jake Reed was on that team too. Jake Reed um, was on that team. Yes, I know who you're talking about. I can picture the tight end right He's now. He's really good. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up, Sean. I'm gonna look it up real quick because as soon as I say it, you're gonna be we're gonna be annoyed with each other that we couldn't remember who that was. 1998 stats receiving. Who did we forget about, Sean? We're gonna be really annoyed once we figure it out. Oh, Andrew Glover. Yep, he was the number three leading receiver that year. Receiver that year. Yeah. So yeah, it had Jake Reed, Matthew Hatchett was on that team. Leroy Hurd was on that wow. team. I forgot about that. Robert Smith, I remember him being on that team. He was pretty sure. good. Yeah, yeah, Leroy Horde was on that team, number two rusher. And that was of course that was back when Randall had stopped running. Yeah. But uh, here that was a fun little duo to watch was Randall, uh, the two receivers he had, Calvin Williams and Fred Barnett. They were pretty nice little one two punch mm-hmm. with, for a couple years with the Eagles. Yeah. So somebody just said Millie and Vanilli. <laughs> Hey, they were successful. Hey, I'll give it to them. Neither of them can sing. They fooled Reggie, all of us. Here's one. Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison. That's a good one. Yeah. He, I'll, I'll, yeah. You want to go college? The one I liked even more than that one? Reggie Wayne and Santana and I, Moss. Oh, Reggie was there yes. with Andre Johnson, too. Yes, but the, the Santana one was – because Andre didn't break out till after Reggie was gone and Santana was gone. Santana and Reggie had their best years together. Yeah. So somebody said Hall and Oates. Now, what's funny is they don't like being called Hall and Oates. They like to be called by their names, Daryl Hall. And they recently fell out too. Yeah, they've had a lot of different fallouts over the years. Yeah. I have a feeling the the, the blonde haired dude's a bit of a pain in the because they were supposed to record. They were supposed to record new music. Yeah, and that dude sounds a bit, of a, a bit of a pain in the butt. Yeah. So it is what it is. Somebody said David Ortiz and Manny, Manny Ramirez. That, that's not a bad one. Two that's a pretty right good combination. Yeah, it's really that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. And somebody said college football. I mean, best receiving duo of the last fifteen years. Somebody just mentioned in the chat was uh, Chase Jamar Chase and Jordan Jefferson. I agree with that one, Paulie B. That that was a pretty dynamic duo in my Shoot. opinion. Hey, neighbors and Thomas this year for LSU. It's pretty good. You it wasn't like that one, though. It wasn't like that one. I would love to compare their numbers. Oh, not even they're, they weren't even close. Yeah, so I, I'll give them to you because I've actually looked at those. So Malik Neighbors this year had 89 catches for 1,569 yards, 14 touchdowns. And Jamar Chase had 84 catches, 1,780 yards, and 20 touchdowns. This J- J- Brian Thomas is the number. Now, again, they played two more games, but um, – uh, if you look at the difference in uh, yards, Jamar even had seven more yards per game, even with the more. The more uh, Brian Thomas had 68 catches for 1,177 yards and 17 touchdowns. Justin Jefferson had 111 catches, 50, uh, 1,540 yards and 18 touchdowns. And they still had Terrace Marshall that had over 600 yards receiving, and Thaddeus Moss had over 500 yards receiving. So, uh, yeah, that that duo was sick. And that was a sick, with, sick. Are duo. they trying to call you uh, the piano man in the chat? Who's that? 
They said Christy Brinkley and Brian Driscoll are trying oh, to call man. you up. Billy Joe. I think Ken, I think Cam Pluta remembers me saying that I that my big celebrity crush when I was a kid was Christy Brinkley. Yeah, that which made yeah. Billy Joe cool, right? When right. the Uptown Girl video I came kept, out, I kept thinking to myself, like, man, I've told my wife that my crush when I was a kid was Christy Brinkley. I don't have a crush on her now. She's like seven some years old, and I'm a married man. Yeah, and she would never give me the time of day if I wasn't. But I was, I was always like, hey, you know what, like. I could get a girl like that because Billy Joel, I'm better look. I'm gonna be better looking. I'm be, I'm already as tall at eight years old as Billy Joel. You know what I mean? So, but no, then then I realized no, it's not as tall as height or his looks, it's his it's his musical talent. And I yeah. Think. yeah, that's a great question. That is yeah, talk them alone. That's another good one. Mm-hmm. I just have a hard time with that one because I just don't like Carl Malone. Uh, just not a big fan of Carl Malone. Uh here's one underrated, underrated duo. Very short time, they burned out a little quickly. Uh, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. Oh man, Talk about some alley oops, alley oops galore. My favorite college basketball duo, uh, was uh, Jalen Rose and Chris Weber. They were <clears> fun <throat> to watch, of course. They had a, a whole group around them, but Jalen and Chris Weber also had some alley, some epic alley oops back in the day, yeah. No doubt. 